It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. Okay, so we are here with another episode of the CT Startup Podcast. And once again, we have Mike Cacuzzo of uh, EnviroPower. Uh, so is EnviroPower or EnviroPower Tech? So I usually go by the website. How, yeah, it's, it's EnviroPower uh, Inc., but uh, we use tech because just EnviroPower wasn't available at the time. They yeah. wanted to charge us, I think, like 10 grand. And I think that's more than I had in the entire company than I started. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to find the web, web uh, the uh, the domain name that works. So Mike, yeah. thank you for uh, for being here, and it's uh, it's good to kind of catch up with you. Um, I know it's been uh, about a year and a half, maybe uh, two, since you've been on the podcast. So um, so I guess first start off is just like introduce yourself. What does EnviroPower do, and uh, we'll go from there. Absolutely, thanks, Eric, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So I appreciate uh, the invitation to come and speak with you and, and your listeners. Um, so again, my name's Mike Kakuza. I'm the founder of EnviroPower. Uh, at EnviroPower, we're a research and development company focused on bringing um, new age heating products to the residential and light commercial markets. Uh, our first product that we've developed is what's called a micro combined heat and power generator or MCHP. The way I like to think about it is it's a heating system that produces electricity. Um, it, it'll help drive down your overall energy bills, similar to solar panels when it's uh, sunny out, solar panels convert that energy to electricity driving down your bills. Our systems, uh, when you need heat, and especially here in New England, uh, when your heating system turns on, it produces electricity uh, driving down your energy bills um, as well. Uh, it has a CO2 reduction between 30 to 40 percent. Uh, it can save uh, anywhere from 15 to 40 percent on energy bills, depending on how, how old your heating system is. Uh, we're also working on some concepts to bring that for backup power as, as well. So like I said, we're an R&D company. We develop the technology, we patent the technology, and we work on um, licensing and manufacturing agreements with large OEMs. Uh, so, you know, since we've last talked, Eric, we were really in the development stage of the technology. Since then, we've uh, partnered with uh, uh, two uh, OEMs, one in Europe and one in the U.S., to manufacture and help bring this product to market. So allowing them to put it in their distribution channels, um, as well as allow us access to the technology where we can uh, sell that in non-traditional channels as well. So um, a lot has happened. Uh, hopefully I captured that for you and, and your listeners. But um, 
it's been a, it's been a big couple of years for us. Yeah, it uh, it has. And so you, so just to go a little bit back, I know our first episode and um, sorry for our listeners, I, I don't know the exact number it was, but it was probably in like the fifties or sixties that uh, uh, in numbers that uh, he was on. But uh, so you were a UConn grad, right? Is, is this the, the idea that you had while you were at school was is, or was it after uh, you left school that you kind of came up with this idea? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so yeah, I, I graduated the University of Connecticut with a mechanical engineering degree uh, in 2010. Um, I had a senior design project that was, let's say, similar to this, um, working on automotive, using steam to work on automotive um, uh, transportation sector. Um, and I did that kind of part-time after college, but I, I got a job in the, the power industry. I worked uh, for a little while at Pratt & Whitney and then a, a French uh, company in, that made large uh, high-speed transmissions. And so it was always kind of a, a tinkering project for me, um, independent of my career. So when I got out of UConn, I, I started a career. I did that for um, four or five years and independently pursued uh, uh, this um I'd say I just started working with steam and tried to make some power in, in my basement. And so, uh, although the innovation, um, you know, itch started when I was working on my senior design at, at UConn, um, it really stayed in my basement for about four years, five years while I pursued uh, a career. And then from there, um, uh, we really just bought some heating products um, off the internet, welded some pipes to a small steam expander and all of a sudden made a prototype. Um, and from there, I was like, oh, look, we, we made a product. So let me quit all my jobs and, uh, and there's going to be a million dollar check waiting somewhere. Right. Um, you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, it took seven, eight years from there to to really do that. Um, but but yeah, it, you know, I found my passion for innovating from UConn, but independently built a career and, and just kind of kept, kept this in my basement um, as tinkering. And, and then you know, three, four years of doing that uh, is, is when we kind of made a first prototype. And, and then I, I realized, you know, prototypes are great, but you have to build a business, um, not just technology. So uh, I think in 2013, we started the company and, and again, really refining the tech for four or five years before we were ready to, to bring on investors, uh, look for partners, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like uh, with different startups start, they have different costs and timelines to, to actually get to market. Yep. And, you know, uh, you know, Connecticut, we always talk about manufacturing and how we have such a big base and everything like that. And so I guess, like, is that the normal kind of timeline for, for these kind of manufacturing innovations that it takes six, seven, eight years to kind of get to market? Or was it just kind of like the bootstrap mentality of, uh, you know, EnviroPower and kind of, you know, you, uh, you coming out of these other jobs and saying, you know, I got to make the product before I can actually bring on investment to try to, you know, get this to market? So I think um, that's a, a very, really good question. And you've you got to look at it from several angles is, you know, you can only throw money um, at accelerating development um, so much. Um, there are certain hurdles that we had to cross that whether we had, you know, when, when we had $50,000 in the bank, whether we, you know, took a million or $2 million at, at that problem, um, you, you have to design it, you have to build it, you're going to find the flaws with it, um, et cetera. So I, I think money helps only to a certain extent. Um, the team makes a tremendous difference in, in timeline as well. A lot of us were learning as we go, you know, we were driven by dreams of making a difference. Uh, and teaching ourselves some of the engineering principles we needed at the same time, like developing um, our control boards, um, you know, coding specifically, building a micro steam turbine. Um, you know, I have a mechanical engineering background, um, but developing a micro steam turbine, you know, as uh, from a single person, um, it comes with its challenges. And we were over, we were able to overcome those challenges, and and just raising more money wouldn't have accelerated that. In fact, it would have most likely put more pressure on to us that could have crippled the company. So, um, you know, seven years of concept to getting to market um, feels like a long time uh, because we're just at the beginning. But it, it, in our case, 
Um, we still have a extremely viable company. We've we've been able to increase the valuation of the company along the way. We've been able to hire um, you know seven employees to the company. We've got offices uh, and also R and D facilities. And so when I look at that over seven years, I'd say it was you know appropriate. The timeline was appropriate. The way we raised capital was appropriate, and the way that we um, implemented capital to keep the valuation of the company growing was appropriate. And now we've got partners that are ready to bring our product into the market with us. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would have liked to gone from my basement to the market in 24 months, but, um, you know, there's learning curves that, that you have to go over. And, and I think there's a balance in between putting, you know, capital and pressure on the team um, and really getting through the de product development um, properly is, is not to be um, overlooked, right? If something's still in development, it's not out of development until it's installed somewhere, until it's working, until you've, you know, gone through whatever revision it takes to, to say, you know, this thing's run for six months without errors or shutting down or breaking, um, you know, it, so until you get to that point, you're still in development and you're not ready to, to commercialize yet. And so it takes mm -hmm. some time. Yeah. So how many uh, units are out in the wild at this point? So we've taken um, four units out into the wild in different applications, some domestic hot water, some space heating, and we've brought them all back. Uh, in the next two weeks, we're bringing uh, three more out into the wild that will stay there for uh, at least 24 months. Um, and, and then by the end of the year, that's when things start ramping up. So we've got another anywhere from 15 to 30 units being deployed before the end of the year. And then we'll be crossing into full certification um, nailing down our manufacturing process, all with quality controls, et cetera, um, in, in 2021. And then we see scale starting to hit in 2022. So crossing into the hundreds of units uh, in, in 2022. Very cool. So uh, as a, so one, did you, I, I'm probably asked this in the, in the first po uh, podcast, but like, like being an entrepreneur and starting your own business, was that something that you kind of had in the back of your mind? Was it something that you kind of envisioned yourself doing? Or was it kind of the itch of this idea that you had in your head that would just, you couldn't kind of like let it go? Yeah, it's a combination of kind of everything that you mentioned. So my dad, I grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur. He started his own business. Um, uh, you know, my mom was, uh, it was a computer business. My mom was coding for that business. They had their corporate jobs. They were both engineers quit. And, you know, I, so started, um, you know, several businesses. So I watched that as, as a young kid that you work on the weekends, um, you know, you, you do work at night. Um, you know, he can make it to my, my baseball games, but right after that, he's taking phone calls in the, in the car and all that kind of stuff. So I, I knew it wasn't a glamorous thing. I knew it was kind of hard work. And then at the same token, I was 14 or 15 because he had a computer business. Um, I learned how to code. He would sell some of my computer programs. And I was like, Hey, if you work hard, uh, you know, you can make your own, um, you know, you can make your own future. Um, that combined with my um, disdain for authority. Uh, so I always believing that I'm right and I'm making the right decision. Uh, I knew that uh, it was good to have a, a corporate job. It was great to set up the 401ks and, and to do all those things, but um, I always wanted to make my own decisions. So uh, I guess I was just waiting for the right idea um, and the right opportunity to, to, to go on my own. But you know, growing up in that environment and um, knowing what it takes. And, and again, just my passion to make my own decisions and be create my own destiny, I guess is, you know, a cliche thing to say, but um, I knew that was always there. So uh, it, I think it was just a matter of time. You know, the idea just had to, to find its way into that drive and, you know, the rest was, was going to just happen on its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, uh it is interesting to, to look back and see how you saw kind of uh, the people around you and how they worked and how that kind of, uh, uh, it, it kind of influences you down the line, right? Because you're just like, you know, taking that call at nine o'clock at night, for some people, it's like, why are you doing that? And it's like, for others, it's like, that's just a natural thing to do, right? You take the call, you, you, you keep working until 10, 11, 12, right? And then you start over again. And so, um, so it's, uh, for some people, it's ingrained. For some people, it's uh, kind of a, uh, um, it just, they, they fall into it. Right. Which, uh, you, uh, didn't seem like you did with you. So, um, so I, here's, here's the thing that I've been 
you know, in 2020, um, before this pod, before we started the recording, we were kind of talking about the transitions, like we haven't talked in, in a few years and, you know, right. things have changed. And so um, just kind of talk uh, a little bit about your evolution as an entrepreneur, because again, uh, you know, kind of what, what we were saying before is that your twenties are for dreaming and kind of being real idealistic, right. And trying to, trying to imagine the, the, the big future that you can, you can create. But then when you start having a family and children and get married, it may change, change that. So just kind of talk a little bit about your evolution as an entrepreneur. And, and also like you're, you're not necessarily the CEO of, of EnviroPower, right? Like you brought on people to, to, to take on new roles. So um, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's, uh, again, really great question. And I kind of see it twofold, right? I see it. One is my evolution or our evolution as EnviroPower. Um, purely from a uh, business or corporate or however you want to phrase it, but 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 really from the commerce perspective of growth, and then you know my personal growth as as an entrepreneur um, over you know the last seven years. Um, you know the the first one to tackle really being the the business side of this um, was you know when I was a an entrepreneur, a business of one. It was all dreams. It was all, you know, oh, the heating market is, you know, uh, $10 billion in equipment every year. So I'm building the next $5 billion business. And if only someone gave me $20 million, you know, I would have this up and running in two years. And then, you know, you're still chasing $5,000 checks from investors and, and it takes you two years to build a prototype. You slowly realize that's, um, you know, it's not the glamours of everything you read in Forbes magazine. Um, uh, it, it takes hard work and determination. So um, it, it also, your risk tolerance comes down when, when, you know, I was in my late twenties as, as a company, sure to bring on that money and I'll try to meet that timeline. And if you miss that timeline, not too much, uh, occurs from them. I have to make, you know, a couple of apologies to, to some potential clients. Um, but, but now as, as we've taken on a series a and brought on uh, several million dollars in investment, now that we've got partners, um, you know, now that we have, uh, seven or eight employees, we, we start to to price that risk into it and make sure that our planning is is appropriate because people, not only myself, but other people depend on the company continuing to be there. Our partners are making plans on the products that, that we're building. And so you start to bring some of those dreams into reality and, and you grow as a company. One way I had to grow um, on the business side is understanding, you know, what were my strengths, um, not just individually, but to the company. Um, and so several years ago, I, I realized that being the CEO and being the uh, technology um, development force um, were two independent jobs, uh, and they're more than full-time jobs each. And so um, we brought on kind of a, I, I think he's a rock star CEO. He's in a, uh, I'd say, a competing company uh, when we first met uh, in his sales position there um, and, and realized as that company shifted away from this market um, because it wasn't the right product fit, um, there was a market to be had and we had the right technology. So he joined our company as CEO and has helped us raise millions of dollars and helped us form partnerships. And it's allowed me to, to not need to work on, you know, PowerPoints and budgets. It's allowed me to say, hey, I need this budget to do the development in this amount of time. Um, and, and he goes out and helps us uh, secure that budget and, and make sure we've got products to sell. And so, um, you know, you can see this evolution of, you know, I found the company, um, we start to raise some money, we start to show some promise, uh, you know, realizing the company needs to mature, uh, bringing on a CEO, and now I shift to the technology side um, and bring on the CEO. And, and now we're about to raise, uh, reach a, another important milestone of a putting product into the market and creating an operational company. And we're going to have to understand and reevaluate what our strengths are and, and, and who else we're going to have to bring on to, to the company. And we're doing that actually, you know, right now, um, not only internally, but with, with our partners. So we're going to continue to evolve. And I think that's important for management to understand, um, you know, that you don't necessarily need the, the you know, to, to be on the cover piece of XYZ magazine or, or webpage. Um, to be successful, you need to continually evaluate what your company needs to be successful and make sure you, you give that to, to your company. Um, so, so that's how I've seen kind of our company mature myself. Um, and again, congratulations on getting married and uh, your firstborn. Um, since I, I think I, uh, I going to say, I think I got married three years ago, but we've been married for three net years now. Um, we just welcomed our, our second child uh, into the world. Um, 
in July. And so, you know, I went from a, uh, when I started the company for doing this, you know, just for myself. Um, and again, I, I'm going to do this. This is the only thing I want to focus on. Um, I remember an early conversation with my wife saying, you know, this is the most important thing to me. And, and I hope you can, um, you know, uh, understand that to, you know, prior to getting married saying, you know, you've become the most important thing to me. And I hope you can support me continuing to, to, to do this business that I've gone to, to now having two kids going, you know, I got to make this business successful because they need a college fund. And, um, you know, it's not about, you know, did we sell the company and I made millions of dollars? It's great. I have a secure job right now. That's going to help me have a retirement. That's going to give my kids a good future. That's going to hopefully teach them what hard work is by setting an example for, for them. And, you know, luckily this, this is a company that we founded and everyone that founds a company does it to hold some equity and hopefully sell it one day. If, and if that's our route, uh, we'll be blessed to have that. But my, my mantra over the years, uh, as the company's matured, you know, I have too, to, to now doing this kind of, you know, for my family and it's been less ego driven. And now, you know, it's been focused on, um, you know, my wife and, and my kids. So, um, long-winded answer there, but I, I really saw that as, you know, the business has matured, but so, so have I as, as kind of an entrepreneur as well. Mm -hmm. And I, that's a, that's an important thing about entrepreneurship and uh, you know, even in, in every aspect of business and life, it's like, if you don't, if you can't look back seven years and say, I one may not recognize that person because I'm a different person. Right. I, you know, like, wow. Or like, if you can't, if you can't look back and say like, I actually have changed or matured, like that's, that's a fault, right. That is not something that you want to be able to do. And so, um, it's, uh, and, and with, with founders, sometimes it's very hard for them to disconnect their business from who they are. Right. And, and kind of, uh, and I know 2020, uh, it was difficult for, for myself and trifecta and, and as an entrepreneur and having to deal with some, some, uh, uh, systematic issues with, um, with, with the business model, um, and kind of, uh, connecting too, too closely who you are as a person to, you know, what your business is. Um, and I, I obviously, I think that family kind of changes that, uh, you know, uh, for me, just like you, right. You get married. That's one thing. That's one more thing that you have to be responsible for. Right. And then when you have a, when you have a child, uh, I know when I told my partners that I was uh, having a child, it's like, they're having a child now. Like they have to, they have to almost think about it like that as well. They're like, yeah. Oh man, like the company's having a child. So we have to do things differently. Yep. Um, so, so that is definitely, um, and, and I guess it, the reason why I kind of bring it up is like, the whole idea of work-life balance, right? It's 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 one of those things that it, I think it's very hard. I know it's been hard for me to even think about, even with with having uh, uh, Emerson this year. And so, um, uh, do you even think about that as work-life balance, or is you, you just think it's like work-life integration? Like, is that is that? <laughs> I've never heard of that work-life integration. Um, it's interesting because I've always. It, I don't want to say company first, but I've had that mentality of, okay, the task at hand, we got to do it. We got to do it. Like I'm not going on the snowboarding trip. I'm not going to that concert. I've got to do this. And I've always been there. And when I have um, had employees, uh, I'm like, why don't you feel the same way I feel? Like, what do you mean you need time off or you want to do something like that? So um, the past two years, as I've had to, you know, come in late for an hour because, you know, my wife needs some help or she's got something she's got to do, or I have to leave to go to, um, you know, a doctor's visit, or I'm taking, you know, the three, four days off that we took because of the delivery of our son. I, I've looked at and said, you know, other people have needs too. And so for myself, I've realized that I need to find a work-life integration, but it's also opened my eyes to, you know, other people, uh, maybe they don't have kids, but but need that as well. So, so forcing it upon me has given me this um, look that there, there is life outside of work and, um, you know, given meaning to, to, to my family and having that importance there, it's opened me up that other people probably feel that way too. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been difficult. Um, you know, I've needed more sleep recently when, uh, when, when you got two and they're both getting up at night. Um, so you, you have to prioritize sleep. You have to do these type of things for your personal life in order for your work life to be there. So yeah, integrating is a great word for that. And, um, I know it's difficult for people that have, you know, drive and are entrepreneurs where they're just like, go, 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 go. But, um, 
when there are priorities outside of work, yeah, there's there's a balance that you have to 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 meet, and sometimes it's a, a struggle. But um, yeah, you, you have to find that balance. You know. Yeah, I uh, I do think there's a few things coming out of uh, 2020 that are good. I know there's a lot of bad that kind of happened, but some of the good stuff is that uh, even for men too, it's like. Having to deal, like having to do childcare, having to have your child around in the background or something like that is completely acceptable. It's actually, I, I almost find it is that like, if, if I have to bring Emerson onto a call, right. And I'm, and I'm, you know, he's like, Hey, he's just sitting here, you know, we can do our thing. People are like, Oh my God, can I just look at the baby? Not you. And this, and, and then it's, it, it's almost one of those things where if I think a lot of people have realized that you can do both, you can kind of have this overlap. I mean, there's certain, certain times where you can't, you, you, you got to separate, right. You got to have your, your, uh, your time uh, to really focus on the business, but there can be a little bit more overlap than we once thought. Right. Um, And so. And and flexibility. I I think flexibility is key, especially, and you mentioned these zoom calls, uh, you know, myself, you know, we've had our kids, but I've seen people with their kids and you just have to go, okay, you're dealing with the same thing I'm dealing with. If we need to pause, if you need to call back, if we need to reschedule, okay, maybe it's at 6 p.m., okay, and you need to do something right now. But yeah, the flexibility, and I think companies need to take a look at how to, how to be flexible and, and realizing, you know, we're always connected. So like if someone is working from home or, you know, you, you need to take some time, you know, you're going to see, make your, the, the organization, the tasks at hand, the milestones, you're going to see if they're being met or not. So you don't need to, you know, there is a level of flexibility that, that can be um, given because of all the tools that, that we have nowadays. So, yeah, I think that's an extreme, it's extremely important thing to, to realize is organizations need to make sure that they stay flexible. And, and I think that's occurring. Um, I think it's occurring, not just from startup levels, but from, you know, corporate America too. For sure, right? And it, it goes back to your KPIs. If your if your KPIs are being met and you can you're you're tracking the business, it is what it is, right? And so you know that that's that's the way you should uh, you should kind of look at stuff. Um, so I guess so. So how has your um, your mentality uh, changed or evolved about the Connecticut startup scene? I mean, you're you're a little bit different too in the sense of like you're manufacturing. So. You, you, you sometimes hear is like, you know, manufacturers are leaving Connecticut. It's too costly. We can't do it. You know, like what is what is your uh, what is your take on uh, the, the business environment right now in Connecticut and um, and where you fit in as as a power? So that's a good question. We've actually taken more of a new age approach um, to our company. So we're not currently right now we have a workshop. We're manufacturing the, the, the products, right? We're, we've got the engineers building the, the products in our, in our lab space. And those are going out, you know, um, to, to, to the field, but scaling that we've taken a approach where, um, we're not re we're not reinventing the wheel in, in terms of, um, kind of the market or the manufacturing space. We're creating heating products, uh, essentially. And so we've partnered with a, a heating um, product OEM to, to do the, the final manufacturing for us. So we won't be manufacturing the final product. Now we do make internals to, to that product, um, such as turbine, power electronics. But again, we, um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's companies that do that. So we've uh, partnered um, with some companies that are specific to the the and I call them a niche type um, micro steam turbine and power electronics to manufacture that for us and so it's allowed us to um, continue to do development but focus on the market rather than focus on scaling manufacturing so I consider those two separate business models completely either you're going to make it and 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 you could develop a sales team to sell it or you're going to develop the sales organization someone's going to make the product for you um you know both are two different aspects and as a startup in the hardware space if you're going to try to accomplish both um it's very very capital intensive uh you need experts in in both uh segments of that uh and so we we realized um it was better to uh to develop the tech to protect the technology and to find the manufacturing partners for us be because we're going after an already established um uh um uh business model already in terms of of 
uh, manufacturing heating equipment, selling it into current distribution channels that we wanted to, we would have more success in enabling the players already into the marketplace, which is, is the business model that, that we've taken. So to bring it back to your question, um, Connecticut for us, it, well, for me and for our CEO and for all our employees is home. Um, we have found um, some very reasonable office space and uh, lab space in a 1920s, if not earlier than that building that is taking the approach of let's bring small businesses and revamp these buildings. Um, so, you know, we have great rent that we have great space and we can do what we wanna do. And Connecticut, everything from the old mills that they, that they have on the rivers that they're starting to revamp or turn into apartments to these old manufacturing buildings, um, you know, finding, small scale um, lab manufacturing or office space um, is, is not difficult here in Connecticut and it's very supportive. Um, investor wise, you know, there's, there's groups of angel investors out there. If you can show them how they're gonna make money, uh, you know, in a three to five year timeline and you're good at networking, you can find some angel investment capital. Um, we do have Connecticut Innovations, which is uh, one of the leaders in our series A. Um, and so, I, you know, they've been nothing but great to us. They've supported us from seed funding to our, our series A mentoring. They've got tons of grant programs. It's a really great organization. Um, Boston and New York are home to the biggest venture capitals on the East coast. And then Silicon Valley is, uh, which, you know, is, is not really totally supportive of hardware companies, more uh, software companies. So if, if you're looking at a pure VC play uh, and it depends what, you, what business you're going after, um, you know, Connecticut, might be hard for that. But if you're growing uh, a business that needs a little seed company to organically grow, uh, Connecticut is surely, um, you know, a great place for that. If you need uh, a start, um, there's a mentor network out there that can tell you, hey, you should be going to Boston or you should be going to New York, or I have some connections for you in Silicon Valley. Um, so in, in retrograde uh, for us, uh, it's been great. Um, we've done everything that we've needed to do. We've got the tech support we need in terms of talent. Um, we've got people, you know, writing software. We've got people, um, you know, creating the designs that we need. We find manufacturing in Connecticut and Massachusetts that we need for our parts uh, as, as we assemble our early prototypes. Um, so you just got to be resourceful. So to those that say it's not there, I'd say you're not picking up the phone enough, um, maybe the product market fit isn't there. And so you haven't found the right appetite of investors um, or maybe you're a software company that needs, you know, venture capital and yeah, maybe Connecticut's not the right home for you, but I haven't found that to be the case. And 95% of the, the companies, you know, I've come across and talked to, um, they, they, they just need to do a little more internal development and a lot more networking. Um, you know, I, I know that, you being part of Trifecta, being part of Techstars, et cetera, you probably take, I don't know, 30 phone calls a day on the light side and 15 to 20 Zoom calls a day. And, <laughs> and you do that for years before, you know, you've, you say, hey, I, I know someone that, that could help you with that until your network builds, until you become useful, right? Um, but it's there. I mean, we've got so many execs that have been born out of Connecticut that have, you know, connections to capital or talent. We've got UConn, we've got Yale, we've got University of Hartford. Um, you know, we've got a lot of students that went to Boston or New York uh, that come, come back uh, for their winters or their summers and say, where's my next job? So um, those that say it's not in Connecticut, um, it's a very small sector. Uh, although it might account for a lot of our, our GDP in terms of, uh, of the software space. Uh, it's a very small sector that, yeah, can't be done in Connecticut, but Connecticut is not out. We haven't found that it's out. Um, you just maybe aren't building your traditional manufacturing company here, but it's, it's 2021. I don't necessarily know that you need to do that. And, and for those that don't need to do that, there's current third-party manuf contract manufacturers out there that, will, that are in Connecticut. Um, most recently I've advised a company, um, creating a new product and we've landed a third party manufacturer. It's right here in Connecticut and they're going to produce the product. They're going to package the product and they're going to uh, drop ship the product. So again, I, I question, you know, 
have you explored enough? Have you created the right business model to, to say you can't be here in Connecticut? And I haven't seen that to be the case yet. Yep. It, uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, um, you got to look at your product and your product market fit. And if that actually is, if that, that may not be working. Right. And that's maybe why the business isn't, isn't, uh, kind of, uh, working out. Um, so I, so when you were talking about worse, you know, uh, uh, being either a sales organization or a manufacturer, I, uh, I kind of got a little gut punch. And the reason why is that like trifecta, we try to do both. We try to be, we try to do it. We, I mean, you, you know, it's, it's kind of funny is that you haven't mentioned it, but there were side projects that you guys were taking on the, uh, on the, on uh, the road to where you are. Right. I know we worked together a little bit doing a little yeah. of these kind of like side projects. And so, you know, we, I know like that was a failure that we hit. That was, that was something that we kind of uh, ran into where we were trying to do both sides of the business, right? Uh, both make them the, the, be the manufacturer, build the systems, but then also sell them and do the customer service and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that that is a, a, a good distinction to, to make um, uh, about this all um, because uh, for so many people, and again, I don't know if you, you ran into this, but uh uh, you have to kind of, you can't just read about the, the lessons learned. You have to live the lessons learned, right? You actually have to go through it. Um, and uh, so, so that is, and so that is, I guess, uh, also just kind of go back. This may not be the right analogy. It may be, but it, is that kind of like how like Apple is like, they don't manufacture their products, right? They just design them in the U S and then they have them manufactured somewhere else. Is that kind of like the same kind of idea of like what EnviroPower is like you design it, you hold all the IP and then you have other manufacturers, hopefully in the U S but you know. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, that, no, it's a great point. It's funny. I, I recalled the project we were working on, and <laughs> you and I, I, I remember we, you'd stop by my house to check things out, and I go, "Are, are we sure this is the right way to go?" I mean, I did some searching. We can buy something, okay, dollars <laughs> more, but you can buy it, and you can yeah. earn it, and we don't have to go through all this troubleshooting. And oh, we're gonna do this project, and we got a grant. Like, okay, um, you know, and as startups go, it's it's not to say you can't. Um, have the full value chain. And, and quite frankly, uh, when a company is mature, um, continuing to, uh, to, to acquire pieces of that value chain to, uh, to drive down, you know, or to increase your margins, um, drive down your costs is a strategy that mature companies do. So I wouldn't shift away from it. But understanding what you're good at, understanding your value chain, understanding your um, environment uh, is key to answer that question. So Apple is a software company, uh, essentially, and they have a lot of great hardware engineers, but they go and, um, you know, they have their own practices for manufacturing, but they go and have someone else uh, make their product and they focus on the software side of that. And they've done a great job, you know, doing that as, as Apple. I mean, one of the best jobs, right? They're one of the gleaming examples of going back to being one of the, the biggest com uh, companies in the country. Um, for what we looked at, um, it was, it was okay, we have strength in our, our IP portfolio. We believe in the strength of our IP portfolio. And Dan, uh, our CEO, having a tremendous sales background was, you know, developing contracts. I mean, we have $3 million in backlogs right now for a product that's not fully on the market yet. Um, and so uh, what we were looking at was how can we do this the, the, the fastest way? How can we do this with as little headaches internally as, as possible? And who are we as a company? Um, and, 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 and how can we actually raise the capital for who we are as a company, right? So we're a company with some IP, limited track record on getting it out into the marketplace. Um, if we wanted to develop into a manufacturing company, um, it's capital intensive, it's, it's resource intensive, meaning that we have to bring on a lot more employees. And so when we say our series A is uh, going to be, you know, four to $5 million, um, and we're going to start certifying getting product into the marketplace, you're probably not going to do become a manufacturing company with that little amount of capital. Um, and, you know, and if you wanted to grow into manufacturing companies as Series B, you know, that that you have to hit a lot of milestones to say to justify that evaluation. And so we looked at it as, you know, can we partner with um, someone already doing that in this space 
not need to raise that capital and um, take away a lot of the headaches that are going to come out of, of a new manufacturing company, right? You got, there's a lot of process control. There's a lot of gelling that the team has to do. And when you go back to, you know, can you just throw money at a problem? You know, those type of problems, you, you can help accelerate because you can bring on, you know, the, the right people to, to do that, but they're expensive. They're expensive. So we really looked at it in terms of, we can stay an R&D company. We can keep developing um, the next version of the product. Um, we can develop the sales organization. And let's bring on someone that knows how to you know, do ASME welding for boilers and get them into the marketplace and who has a, you know, a trusted brand name that can put a warranty on it. Because that's another aspect that you need to think about, which is you're bringing a new product to market. Um, who's EnviroPower? And uh, I expect this boiler to last 15 years. Why is your company going to do that? And what happens if it breaks, right? If I can put our partner's name on it and have their warranty on it, um, even if it breaks, they're going to feel comfortable that, you know, it's going to be replaced, that their warranty is going to be followed up on, that the company is going to be there five years from now. So um, there's no right or wrong way to uh, to look at that. It's It's really evaluating really all of the strengths of who you are and, and how can you be successful? Um, and, and again, success isn't, oh, I got a hundred million dollar valuation and I raised $30 million and now I'm going to become this manufacturing company. Quite frankly, I see more companies struggle with that than, you know, we raised $5 million. We're going to stay a 10 person team and we're going to let the manufacturer do what the manufacturer does. Um, so it's, it's a difficult, um, I wouldn't even say it's difficult. If you do the work and examine all of the, the different aspects that we were mentioning, the, the, the answers become more clear. Um, but as a startup, you should choose one thing uh, and become good at that one thing. I'm going to be a manufacturer, become good at that. I'm going to be a sales organization, become good at that. I'm going to whatever your, your thing that makes your business model work is, become good at that. And then think about the other um, you know, aspect of your business that you want to develop. For sure, for sure. Self-awareness uh, as a person, as an entrepreneur is important, but self-awareness as an organization is just as important, right? Can you all come together and just kind of openly talk about your strengths and weaknesses as a company and where, where we should head? So um, that's uh, uh, some definitely good, valid points. And again, I've lived them. I understand it. Like I can feel it in my gut when, when some people bring this up. It's like, ah, if I just listen to that one line in that book that said that, but no, you got to go, you know, in your twenties, right. You know, everything you, you're, uh, you, you can figure it out. You don't have to listen to the people that would did it before. So um, creating a business is hard enough. I mean, get out of your own way, figure <laughs> out what you're good at and just get out of your way. I mean, I such a flaw where people just don't get out of their own way. They set up this great thing. They figure out there's value there that they can extract. And then for some reason they want to change that. And, 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 and it's like, get out of your way. Just, just let it, let it go. And, and along the way, hire good people and listen to them. Yep. Yeah. Very, uh, very valid points. So, uh, so we're going to be wrapping up uh, soon. So um, I got a, a few more questions. Um, sure. One is what are, what advice do you have for some people uh, like yourself uh, that was an in uh, mechanical engineer uh, and uh, you know, have this kind of idea for a manufacturing product? What, you know, how, uh, what are some, some advice you would give to them, to that person? Sure. Um, you know, first just keep developing that idea. I mean, um, before you jump fully in, you know, make sure there's a market, make sure it's a product market fit rather than just a good idea. Um, get mentors and, and listen to, to mentors a, a lot. Um, even when, if you disagree with their thoughts onto it um, and you continue to be successful, sooner or later, you'll look back and go, they had, you know, valid points and, and, and will really, they're, they're there to change the way that you think, uh, especially if you've got men mentors that have, you know, a track record of, of, of success um, and may, maybe not monetary success, but building a business, um, networking, et cetera. You, you, you really want to be able to, to listen to advice that that's given to you. That's completely, that's number one, whether you're hardware, whether you're software, you, you need to get some mentors, um, especially if you've never done something like that. Hardware specific, um, 
you know, it depends what you need. If you're a really good catter and you know how to make uh, models and you know how to manufacture products, um, understand what your needs are. Are they capital? Again, at that point, go out and find some mentors that can help you understand, do you, do you have a business and does this business just need $100,000 or do you need, you know, what do you actually need um, as a company, there's so many times where you think, if I just had a million dollars, I'll have, I can make this product and I'll have customers. Um, I've seen it so many times that if you got customers, you can find someone to design the product, make the product, um, and, and drop ship it to, to your customers. And I've seen it that if you find the right customers, they're willing to wait a year for that to happen. Uh, I mean, and they'll give you down payments or letters of intent, et cetera. So, you know, it's really about, um, you know, products are great. Uh, markets are better, right? Find the market. Uh, so if you have a product, make sure there's a market, make sure you can enter that market, understand what it takes to, to uh, enter that market, right? Are there regulatory issues that you got to overcome? Oh, great. I could design and manufacture a product, but if you need to take it through uh, UL, you know, you better have $50,000 and that product better be ready to go through UL or you're going to need design changes and et cetera. So um, again, explore the landscape. And if you don't know what that landscape is, just find some people to help you do that. And if you don't know how to do that, you know, search, if you're in Connecticut, start with, you know, as, as I said, CT next uh, is a great resource to get you going. They've got a mentor network. And uh, if they don't know, they say, Hey, why don't you pick up the phone and call, you know, John Smith or, or whomever to, to get that going, um, especially hardware related. There's a lot of people that have been there and done that in Connecticut that have, you know, currently have manufacturing companies, have sold manufacturing companies, have run manufacturing companies, have hired employees of manufacturing companies, have financed manufacturing companies. I mean, you name it, that's where this state started. Um, and there's a long list of people that are willing to help. Um, I have found it, um, you know, I, actually, I don't think I found instance where I needed some guidance where someone didn't at least give me five minute phone call. You know, some have given me, you know, five minute phone calls for three years and some have given me just one five minute phone call, but um, you get value of each. So, um, you know, you're, you're not going to be the first person in this area come trying to develop a product. Um, so get some advice and, um, you know, just, just ask questions, ask for help. You know, it's not, if only I had a patent and if only I had a million dollars, that's not where to start, right? There's other places where to start. Yeah, you got you to gotta figure out what are the right questions to ask and then go go ask those questions to, to the market, right? To, yeah, to yeah, the people yeah. around you. <laughs> so um, great, great. Well, uh, that, that is a uh, wonderful advice. Um, so just to, uh, to, to wrap it up, is there any, um, any books, podcasts, anything that you've uh, really been uh, 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 all about lately or that you've read or you've kind of, I know you have two kids and a job and everything. So I don't, I don't know if that's even, you know, do you even have the time for that, but um, that you would re recommend to our audience? Oh man. Um, that's a great question. Um, I do some of the more mainstream stuff unless I get a good recommendation. So uh, I listen to like Freakonomics, uh, Radio Lab. Um, you know, the, the kind that you're not going to go wrong if you turn it on for the 20 minute, 30 minute drive for work, you know, you're going to get some of that um, kind of information. To, yeah, so not, nothing to, uh, you know, high level at that point there, I could give any anything that you're not going to find mainstream, um, you know, the, the two kids in the business right now are kind of consuming it. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting. There is one interesting podcast I listen to that gives me some, you know, macro, sometimes macro level uh, uh, information, micro level information um, called invest like the best. Um, I forget the, the, the guy who runs it, but it's a really good podcast about uh, markets, what's occurring in markets, where there's trends going on in markets. Um, and, and so I find that really interesting. A lot of what um, I've been into uh, in terms of, you know, reading is, is really in energy markets. We're creating an energy um, um, product. So um, there's a podcast called Energy Gang that I that I listen to. Uh, they they dive into trends as well as uh, political policies um, to 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 follow. So um, our product does burn a, a fossil fuel, natural gas, or propane. Um, and so you know that's kind of almost like a dirty word now, nowadays. However, the uh, the heating market um, to transition that uh, is a trillion dollar plus effort uh, to, to bring that fully electric. So cleaning up um, 
the the fossil uh, the CO2 that comes out of that um, by 30 to 40 percent uh, and providing energy savings is a significant win to that marketplace. So uh, what what we like to do is stay informed on where policies are are heading, uh, what what's coming down the the the, the pipe, um, uh, because you know. The worst thing you want to do is invest millions, if not tens of millions of dollars into new product development and see a policy change occur um, and, and have an obsolete product. So that, that's probably where, you know, I, I spend most of the rest of my time doing doing reading. So uh, and policy reading can get quite boring um, to. to <laughs> It's a good way to maybe put the kids to sleep, but <laughs> For, yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a nighttime story to read them, right? Uh, yeah. Just knock them out. But cool. Well, uh, Mike, this was this is great. I'm uh, glad that you uh, were able to shave off some time from your busy schedule to to do this. Um, you know, we really appreciate it, and um, it's one thing about this this podcast, uh, and even you know now that and, and uh, you mentioned um, uh, CI and CT Next uh, and how they've supported you. They are now sponsors of this podcast, and they are supporting us uh, in in, awesome. uh, in a similar way. And uh, it's been it's been great to kind of have them um, uh, kind of approach us and say, listen, we like what you're doing, and 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 so forth. Um, and so, um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, coming on, um, you know, sharing your story and kind of how you evolved over the seven years, how your business evolved. I think that's really crucial because, uh, people kind of now hopping in because again, 2010 was a great time to start a business because th things were chaotic. I'm on the, I'm on the side that I think now is still a great time to start a business and to innovate and, and so forth. Um, but it's also, and I think I know we uh, I kind of maybe got uh, a little bit of this and maybe you did, too, but kind of the little rock star status of being an entrepreneur. Right. When you're you know going through these accelerators and, you know, you're you're you guys are doing all this great stuff. But then at the end of the day, it gets lonely. It, it's hard. It's a grind. You're, you're not going to those concerts. You're not going on those vacations, maybe golf here and there. But, you know, at, for the most part, you're not you're giving up a lot of that stuff. Right. So um, to, to hear how you have evolved and, um, you know, where your company's at and uh, is really good. And I, uh, again, appreciate all the insight you gave on how to kind of think about manufacturing um, and so forth. So um, all the best. And I hope to uh, see one of the, your, uh, your units in the wild soon. Yeah, well, we should be giving some updates. I, I'm, I think I'm literally leaving here to uh, change my shirt and, and go do some plumbing on our, our uh, next install. So um, yeah, Eric, I really appreciate everything. Uh, I'm really glad to hear the podcast is sponsored by CT Next and CI. I think what they're doing for um, the young and hun uh, hungry entrepreneurs and, and doers of the state is great because, um, you know, we're, we're, we sing their praises and, and know that they're there. Um, you know, you just got to be able to show that you can do something with it. So I'm really happy to see your podcast continue to, to grow. Happy to be on it uh, for a second time. Um, hopefully, you know, we're going to be around to, to have a third and fourth time, keep providing you those updates. Um, and, and so, yeah, thanks again. I really appreciate the conversation and uh, look forward to the next time that we talk. All right. Great. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And uh, well, you can go uh, get dirty a little bit. So. All right. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> All right. Thanks. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.